Hey everybody, this is Matt Wakeling and you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. This is the show I produce in Sydney, Australia. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 140. Now today I'm joined by American guitarist Michael Stertow, who joins us to talk about spending seven years on the road with legendary foreigner vocalist Lou Graham. He gives us some essential sideman tips, talks about Les Pauls, talks up solo Dallas. We, uh, we talk about paying it forward to the next generation and we even get a sneak peek of Michael's much anticipated solo EP. Now, before we move over to the interview, I want to give a shout out. I realized over the last few episodes, I've been giving shout outs to people doing interesting stuff that I've been really enjoying and and engaging in. So this week, I want to talk about Simon Raffalo, guitarist. Simon's a great friend of mine. He's been a guest on this show. And he's a fantastic guitar player. He's got a really unique voice. And he's just set up a YouTube channel where he divulges some of his approaches to playing. Um, I love it. So I encourage you to check it out. There are some links in the show notes for that. Also wanted to let you know, and I announced this last week, that I have set up a PayPal tip jar. So if you'd like to securely support the show, you can do so. There'll be links as well in the show notes for you to check that out. All right, Michael Stertow. Man, what a great musician, amazing guitar player, and just a super humble and and thoughtful musician. So it was really cool to meet him and and discuss his career. Now Michael's very kindly sent me through a few tracks that will be on his solo EP. It's his uh, much anticipated new release. And I'm gonna share uh, with Michael's permission some of that with you now. So before we get to our conversation, let's have a listen to Michael in action. This is him blazing over the outro of uh, a Steve Perry cover on the track, She's Mine. Michael Stertow, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Big fan of your podcast. Wow, thank you. That's that's really really cool, Matt. As we're uh, this is an audio podcast, but as as we're speaking, you're you're sitting on the deck. You're in Rochester, New York. It's it looks beautiful and sunny. Absolutely. Nice time of year. We're in we're in winter, of course, here in Sydney. It's the it's the upside down part of the year for us. Yeah. But, uh, have you always lived in Rochester? I'm sorry. Have you always lived in Rochester? Has that always been home? I have. Um, I lived in on the West Coast for a little while in the late '80s, mid to late '80s. And uh, actually, I'm only in Rochester for another week now. I'm actually transitioning from uh, Rochester, New York, to Nashville. Okay. So, we I would have had you in my studio, but it's like completely torn down, and there's boxes everywhere, and it's uh, pretty crazy right now. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's that's a big move. What's um what what's in Nashville? What's the what's the plan there? It's just, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a better atmosphere. I got a lot of music stuff going on. I got some things in the works and, uh, 
and uh, that I can't really talk about yet, but uh, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. Oh, that's excellent. That's exciting. Good to hear. I mean, especially um, as we speak, we, it's, you know, mid July, 2020 um, mm-hmm. COVID COVID is rolling on in, in different forms around the world. Um, great. Crazy. Great to hear. You've got some, some uh, irons in the, in the fire as it were. Yeah, yeah. You know, New York is, is, is pretty leveled out right now. Um, I'm not actually in the city. I'm about six hours uh, northwest of the city. So okay. I'm closer to Buffalo and Lake Ontario and Toronto area. So, you know, we're not seeing too much uh, of, of our fair share like the epicenter down in New York City. But, you know, it is what it is. You still got to be responsible. You got to be careful. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy different world we're living in. I never expected this. Sure, sure. And what we've been spending the last few months doing, I guess, for you, spending many years on the road, uh, it's yeah. a, been a different kind of, kind of year. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've been I've been enjoying a lot of family time. Um, I've been creative. I finished up the, the third of three songs for a, an, an instrumental EP that I've been working on um, for a long time, and I finally have it all completed. And uh, just trying to figure out the right time to release it and uh, and uh, and leash, unleash it to the world. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. I was uh, I was going to ask about that because, um, of course, you had a solo album. Uh, Oxygen that was out uh, quite a few years ago, 20, 2001, I think. Yeah, a long uh, time ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've been obviously super busy playing with musical superstars and traveling the globe, which we'll talk about. But that's cool to hear you, yeah. you, you're doing uh, your own stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, really exciting. It's good to be creative. Uh, you know, in addition to writing with some other people as well, um, getting to do my own, my own uh, material and just getting that out of my system is really, really... Um, really refreshing. So I, I've been using a lot of this downtime to be able to do that, to do just that, you know, and, and being able to collaborate with other people too. So it's been really exciting. Excellent. Excellent. Um, making, making lemons, lemonade out of lemons, right? That's it. That's it. That's what they say. Good to hear. Now, full, um, full disclosure, I heard you on Jude Gold's podcast. Um, uh-huh. I think that's maybe a couple of years ago now. I love that interview. It was like at midnight or something after a gig or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, yeah, we, me and Jude became really good friends. We did a, we did a show together. Uh, I was playing with Lou, and he was playing with Jefferson Starship, and we did it down in New York City, um, not New York City, but I think it was Long Island. It was a, it was a, a festival type thing, and we hit it off immediately. And then we kind of kept in touch. And uh, I'm a big fan of his playing, and I was a big fan. Of, I still am a big fan of his podcast. I mean, I, I was a regular listener of his podcast, um, and in yours as well. I, I listen to podcasts when I travel. Um, you know, I, I download them to my phone and throw them the ears on when I'm on the plane and, and just, uh, and just enjoy myself and just get away and just escape a little bit and listen to other people. And I really enjoy, uh, podcast, po- uh, Jude's is one of them that I really enjoyed. And, and to be a guest on a show was, was amazing. And we did it right here at my house and, uh, it, it, we called it the midnight podcast because he had a show here in town and, uh, and I went to the show and then we, we were going to go back to the hotel and do it. And he said, well, how far do you live from the gig? And I was like closer to, to where he was playing than the hotel. So we just came here and fired it up, my, fired it up in my living room and just kind of enjoyed the stars and, and, uh, you know, enjoyed the outdoors and, and then did our thing. And it was a lot of fun. So yeah. nice, nice. One of the, one of the tracks I heard, um, in that podcast was your version of beautiful, the, the Christine yes. Agu- Aguilera tune, um, yes. and, uh, written by who wrote that? It was the, the, Three non blondes. 
Yeah, yeah, Michelle, uh, Perry, uh, uh, Linda Perry. Yeah, Linda Perry, yeah, and the mega producer that she's now, yeah. Um, but, but your your version, we just heard a little bit of that, but beautiful. Is that is that going to be on the EP? Yep, that's one of the three. Yep, there's, uh, I did, uh, I did her, uh, the Christina Aguilera song, because, you know, Christina's vocals are so, I mean, she's over the top. She's an amazing vocalist, and I often refer to her as, like, the, the Ingve Malmsteen of vocals because she riffs all the time and in, in, in a good way. Yeah. And that particular song was so uncharacteristic of her vocal style. And it just really resonated. The message resonated with me as well as the song. And I always wanted to do an instrumental version of it and try to be, um, try to be very as expressive as she is with her voice on the guitar. And I thought that was a, a, an extreme challenge and I was I was up for the challenge, and I, I, I uh, as, as you heard a little bit of it, which I can send you a copy of it. Um, it it's I thought it came out great, and I thought everyone that participated on it um, was fantastic. And in fact, the person who uh, mixed the audio of the original her original track with Linda Perry actually mixed this version of it. So that was a real wow. treat to have him do it. That is so cool. That is great. Uh, interesting. Your vocal. You you mentioned the vocals. Um, yeah. Because you sing. You're a great singer. Um, that's that's been a big part of your sideman gig, I guess. I mean, obviously you hired to play the guitar and do an amazing job, but how important has it been for you to develop your vocal chops in terms of being a working guitarist? Yeah, I, I you know I've always sang um, even before I played guitar. I sang, so it was it was pretty easy. I mean, it came naturally, not easy. I, mean, I had to work at it, like everything else, but it, it was very natural to play and sing, um, and it seemed like that always kind of gave me an edge. Uh, on my on on competition, you know, if if I was going out for a gig and you know the other the other player was was an, a monster player but didn't sing, you know, it seemed to be a little bit of a leg up being able to play you know proficiently and be able to sing as well because I think that's you know that's a that's a big asset to have as a as a guitar player you know to be able to to sing and play so you know I think it really brings a lot to the table. Do you think it informs your guitar playing in any way? Uh, being aware of vocal phrasing and, and nuance? Um, you know, I, I, I do. Um, I find that I notice a lot of players, like for instance, Bonnie Raitt, I listen to her, the, the vibrato in her guitar playing and it reminds me of her vocal vibrato. Um, I don't know if I see that in my own singing, in my own playing. Um, I never, I don't really pay attention that close enough to that. I just kind of do it and, and I leave it to others to make the comparison or analyze it. Sure, sure. <laughs> so you know, I just kind of do what I do and I, I don't think about it. So Yeah, sure. You mentioned uh, being, uh, being on the road with Lou, obviously talking about Lou Graham, uh, the voice yeah. of Foreigner, the original singer for Foreigner and uh, guy with an amazing solo career as well. That was, that was a long-term gig for you. Yeah, that was it was almost. Uh, I, I spent seven years with that, with that, uh, that gig, and uh, it was a it was a great gig. I mean, I, I really, I really couldn't have asked for a, a better opportunity. And you know, Lou is an amazing human being. I, I'm I'm honored to be friends. They've become friends with him, although I knew him before. Um, I, I, I got to know him in a, in a much different capacity, and um, he's just a, an amazing guy and what a powerhouse vocalist. I mean, and and just a great guy to work for and a great guy to be around. I mean, I can't say enough great stuff about Lou. He gave me, he gave me a great opportunity and, uh, I, I really, I really am grateful for it. I took it seriously and, and didn't take it for granted. And it was a great ride and, uh, I was sorry to see it go, but you know, every, all good things come to an end. Sure. Sure. He was uh, a Rochester 
guy as well, wasn't he? He still is. Yep. He, uh, he left wow. Rochester, I think, uh, when Foreigner, you know, became prominent and then he came back several years later and, and he's remained ever since. And yeah, he's, uh, it's a, it's a staple to see him around town and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's cool. Nice. Nice. Was his brother playing drums when, when you were, Yeah, his brother, Ben, yep. His brother, Ben plays drums and he, he's an accomplished drummer as well. I mean, he played with, uh, Rupert Holmes on the Pina Colada song. It's a pretty notable song. Oh, really? um, wow. Yeah, yeah, he was with Peter Frampton for a little while. He played with um, Yoko Ono for a little bit. And there's probably a couple other things that I can't remember, but he's an amazing drummer and an amazing musician as well, all around singer. I think he plays trumpet as well. I mean, he's he's a, he's an amazing guy, and I'm grateful to, to have him as a friend as well. Yeah, very cool. How, how do you approach a, a gig like that? Because you're covering, obviously, the foreigner material um, with such memorable guitar parts. And then... Um, Lose own solo career, as I mentioned. I know in Australia, um, Midnight Blue was a massive hit. I mean, it was everywhere, I guess. Yeah, I remember yeah, jamming crazy. on that in the garage with my mates. Just the intro, that's all we knew. Um, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so iconic. Yeah. So how do you approach those parts and still keep some, some of yourself in there? You know, I, I approached it with an authenticity attitude. Like, I really wanted to be as authentic as possible. I really want to wrap my head around... Um, you know, in, with the, in the regards to the foreigner material, I wanted to wrap my head around the Mick Jones style and try to really get a grasp and understand how he wrote songs, how he played the guitar. And one of the things I did is I went back and listened to Spooky Tooth, the band he was in before Foreigner, and just tried to research him and and then dug into the material and really tried to to replicate it. I, I, and, I, and I've spoken about this before, and I think this is really important when you're approaching any gig like this, of this magnitude, um, with such I- iconic songs, you have to, you have to really uh, replicate the songs. It's not your job to reinvent them. Now, having said that, you know, Lou is very gracious and he would l- allow me or encourage me many times to, you know, inject a little bit of my own personality into the songs, which I did very infrequently. I mean, I did a little bit here and there, but I really wanted to, you know, uh, pay regard and, and, and respect the original, uh, compositions like they were supposed to be, because as a fan, that's the way I want to hear it as well. I mean, I really wasn't interested in hearing somebody else go, you know, Tommy Thayer jumping in Ace Frehley's position and hearing his version of it. And he, and, and speaking of Tommy, he does an amazing job, mm-hmm. um, replicating Ace Frehley's parts and, and everybody that, you know, that, that followed. I mean, he's, a, he's an amazing example of, of just that. So, you know, that's what I tried to do. I just tried to really be uh, as authentic and pay as much respect and have, as, have the highest regard for the material and, and try to replicate it as much as possible. Sure, sure. How about um, in terms of tones? How, how close were you chasing the, those, those iconic sort of guitar tones? Yeah, that, that played a big part of it too. I mean, I really, really wanted to have that I really wanted to have that um, that tone authenticity as well, and, and and I realized that that there was a dynamic between Mick and Lou uh, that was deliberate, you know. And I think that that's what made them the powerhouse that they were. So that was a real important aspect that I needed to to do to drive that inspiration and 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 probably keep that gig. You know, that I'm pretty sure that a lot of people looked at that gig is like, wow, this is really easy, but it, it, they, they probably took it for granted of, of the intricacies of it. I mean, it's, it's very sophisticated. It doesn't seem that way, but it's very deliberate. I mean, the songwriting is impeccable. The guitar parts are deliberate. I mean, everything, the composition, I mean, from, from A to Z, it's, it's like, it's perfection. I mean, and the set list, I mean, I'm sure that 
that you might want to ask about that too. I mean, it's like it's like cheating because there's so many hits, and we would do we would do shows with other artists with just as you know comparable set lists, but they would come over and look at our set list and go, "Oh my God, these are all hits!" And even though they weren't my hits, it was it was a real privilege to be able to to be able to play that night after night after night. Yeah, yeah. The um, yeah, I, I can just mention every intro. Just the crowd would go nuts after a couple oh, of bars. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And and that's that's like it's it's beautiful, you know. It's like as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, feels the first time. Oh yeah, double vision. Oh yeah, urgent. You know, oh, <laughs> you know, man. you just know so the song. Good. So good, so good. Hey, it's true what you say about the subtlety too, because um, there's there's some nuances in the writing. There's always a a little chord twist or something in in some of that yes. that foreigner stuff that um you got to look out for. Some of the turnarounds they don't turn around the same way. At the every yeah. at the end of every uh, cycle or whatever, right, right. And one of the, one of the real interesting uh, songs is feels like the first time I, I've noticed. There's, I've watched a lot of other people play it, and and they kind of miss uh, they miss the the fingering that Mick uses. He, he play you know he'll play these F shapes like an open F, but he slides them up, and then he'll use a a bass note. He'll use an extra finger on the A string to use a bass note. Like for instance. Okay. Uh, another good example would be like um, with Hot Blooded, you know, it's open G, G, and then there's an uh, a, a, an F with a with a C bass that's really overlooked. A lot of people play it as a, like a regular okay. C power or whatever. Yeah. But you got to throw that you got to throw that uh, that bass note in there, uh, you know, the the C over F. So you got to have it in there because it really defines. It makes a difference between you know somebody playing it correctly versus somebody just kind of playing it you know yeah 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 so when you say the um the the f with the c that's that a string that that root note on the yeah. a string you're talking about yeah okay so you're layering extra ba- extra bass note and i think it's the uh it's the it's the uh the third i think it is it's i i can't, I can't remember what interval is off the top of my head right now i don't have a guitar in front of me but yeah it's 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 but it's 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 very prominent in there and it, and it it really makes a difference when you're playing it you know, authentically versus, you know, kind of hacking your way through it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Now, my next question is a no-brainer for anyone who knows anything about you, but um, what guitars what guitars are you lugging around for, for the, well, for that, for those gigs and just every single day since? <laughs> I am a super fan of the Gibson Les Paul. Yeah. I've been a Les Paul player, Les Paul fan since I was a kid, and it just, it just really is... A, a tough, a tough habit to shake. I mean, I, I have I have other guitars as well, but I don't uh, I don't deviate too much. I, I, I find exactly what I need from that guitar, and I'm able to um, chameleon it to most projects that I do. So, okay. Do you remember the first time you became aware of the Les Paul? So when you were growing up, and you you think, okay, I recognize that guitar now. Absolutely. I mean, I remember seeing. We mentioned Ace Freely a minute ago. Uh, I remember seeing Ace. Um, on Kiss Alive, uh, uh, Kiss Alive, the original Kiss Alive record, and you know just the images of him. And of course, as a kid, we didn't have videos and stuff like that, so we had to rely on magazines or, yeah. or every once in a while on TV. Um, but yeah, that that image just really, really resonated with me. And and you know, early pictures of Neil Sean and Santana on album covers, and mm-hmm. just different artists that that would play that guitar for me. That just something about the shape of it. Um, before I even held one in my hands and didn't, and, and even knew what it felt like to play it, it just seemed like, you know, a, 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 almost a status symbol of success. I mean, if you were, 
if you were a Les Paul player, you obviously had arrived, you were, a, 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 you know, successful, you were accomplished, you know, it just, for me, it was just a, it was a, a symbol of that. And when I got my first Les Paul, it was like, it was, it was just felt so much comfortable and I just felt like I was on the right trajectory. Yeah. Wow. Funny you mentioned Ace. My very first electric um, was inspired by Ace. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't get a Les Paul. I didn't know what it was, but I got something that was vaguely sunburst, some... Um, Sure, sure. Some crazy, but a little bit sunburst. And I'm like, yes, this is the ace guitar. So, yeah. <laughs> good yeah, times. Absolutely. What, what was your first Les Paul? My first Les Paul, real Les Paul, was a mid-70s, I think 74-ish Les Paul custom. Awesome. And prior to that, I had a, a copy, uh, a vantage Les Paul copy, which is a really, really nice yeah. Les Paul. But I, I, I had been playing in a band with a bunch of friends from school and we were all on the baseball team and we jumped into a couple of talent shows and I kind of set a goal for myself and I said, you know, if we win these two talent shows, um, with my share of the money and whatever I had saved up, I was going to, I wanted to buy a real Les Paul and that was kind of my goal and I was able to do that. And, uh, again, it was a sunburst because awesome. of, uh, it's really, and yeah. you know, gold hardware and stuff. And, and I, I really wish I still had that guitar because, I believe it or not, I, I probably sold it for just a little more than I bought it for to go to spring break on vacation with my buddies. Uh -huh. And it was really stupid for me to do that. I, <laughs> I, I really regret. I mean, I had a great time at spring break, but um, not, not that, yeah, it just, it was a bad, it was a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got those gear stories. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Man, a 74 custom, that must've been pretty heavy. It was heavy and, uh, but it was a great guitar. I mean, it, it was, uh, it, I mean, it just sounded great, played great, and uh, I'm 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 sorry to see it go. In fact, as I'm packing to move, I found some pictures in in my in my storage uh, items, and I found some pictures of me playing and pictures of that guitar, and uh, it really tugged at my heartstrings. I wish I could find that guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would buy it back in a minute. <laughs> uh, that's an SOS out there into the universe. I'll stop asking because I feel bad bringing it up. <laughs> No, it's okay. I, I think I paid like five hundred dollars for it. Okay. And and I think I sold it for like five hundred and fifty bucks. And, and it's just like, you know, it, it, it's it's insane because I don't think you can buy a Les Paul custom from nineteen seventy four for five, maybe five thousand now, but not yeah, five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a Les Paul recipe? Because I it, it looks like you own a bunch of them. What's do you have like a go to in terms of hardware pickup neck profile whatever? Yeah, neck profile is real important to me. I, I'm I'm a big, a big fan of custom shop guitars. They're a custom shop. Um, I've been playing '58 reissues, the uh, R8s, uh -huh. and I I really really love the um, the neck profile. It's it's big, it's fat, it's beefy, and I was intimidated at first when I was told that it was fat and beefy. I had played some, some regular slimline, more sixty styles neck. And, um, when I, when I picked this one up, I was like, wow, I, I love this guitar. I, I couldn't put it down. So every subsequent Les Paul that I bought from the custom shop, custom shop after that, I, I needed to have similar beefy necks and, and I find it hard to go back to a thinner profile neck. Now I just really like the way it feels. Uh huh. Do you think it contributes to the tone or more just the feel in the hand? I think it contributes to all of it. I think it. Uh, I think that a little bit extra mass probably helps with the tone, and 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 definitely the the feel inspires me to play a certain way. You know. Yeah, I, I saw you were working on the solo Dallas booth. Uh, yeah. At, at Nam, tell me, tell me about. Were that. you there? No, no, I was no. like five thousand k's away. But 
Uh, yeah, I was Phil, paying attention. Phil, yeah, Phil, who owns Solo Dallas, is an amazing, amazing human being. Um, he, the product he makes, the the uh, the tower, the boost pedal, and the uh, the uh, storm pedal. I use the storm pedal uh, on my pedal board to staple on my pedal board to drive just to take a marshal just a little bit over. That technology is amazing, and and the history uh, of of that in and of itself is is pretty yeah. cool. Have you had him on your show yet? No, I've heard him. Though. He is like a powerhouse. He he's got so much energy. You need to have him on your show. He, he's a, he's the ACDC authority and he's the, uh, the, uh, shaper Vega. Um, just, he's the, 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 the carrier of the throne for that shake of shaper Vega wireless, the true diversity system. Mm. I mean, that really is, is, is a remarkable piece of technology that he's been able to put into a pedal, even the tower. I don't have a tower, but I played through the tower and, um, I need to get one. I need to get one from uh, from that. So, Phil, if you're listening, make sure you send me one, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a cool story. Hey, he went through all the all the parts of Angus's rig and found out it was the wireless having the most unique impact. That's crazy. Yeah, and and he's got it dialed in too because I mean he knows he knows that that tone inside and out. And and as a player, he's amazing. I mean, mm. I, the two of us hit it off because of our passion for Angus Young and Malcolm Young, and um, you know, when I do his booth, we, I mean, we just get done, we, we just jam and, and we always get in trouble by the sound police, the DB police <laughs> at, yeah, we got down. but I mean, it's like, it just, it calls for just energy and, 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 you know, it's just, it's just a great, if, if no one's heard of solo Dallas and his technology and his products, definitely check them out. It's an amazing product and he's an amazing, um, uh, ambassador of that, that, uh, that well, I, well, I try to personify it. There's really not one word to personify. It's like so much that, that, that concept, that sound, that tone, yeah. that energy that you get from, from his little device. It's, it's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so iconic. If, if any producer ever says, give it some Angus or give it some Malcolm, every guitar player in the world knows exactly what that means. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and Malcolm, uh, you know, everybody, when people think of ACDC and I love Angus, one of my early influences as well. Um, but when you talk about ACDC, people don't realize that the one, two punch is Malcolm. He's the real, yeah, the yeah. real drive behind that band. I mean, not to take anything away from Angus, but a Malcolm, you know, Mal- as a rhythm guitar player, that's really important to be an amazing rhythm guitar player. As you would know from, you know, other powerhouse guitar players, Eddie Van Halen. Mm. I mean, a lot of people don't give him as much credit as he deserves for his rhythm playing. I mean, Eddie's the king of swing. He's, you know, he's just, his rhythm playing is just as important as his lead playing. I mean, the, you know, two disciples and monsters that of, of drive. It's just incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talking about heroes, you've, you've shared the stage with a, a few of yours. You've jammed with people like Neil Sean and Howard Lease. Um, I saw a shot of you with Buddy Guy. Tell me, tell me about meeting those guys. So, so the, the, the Neil Sean, I wasn't actually, I didn't actually share the stage with Neil Sean at the same time, but uh, we were, uh, when I was playing with Lou, we were direct support for Journey, and uh, that was pretty incredible. In fact, the first show we did with them, we were in San Juan, Puerto Rico, in a 20,000 seat arena, and for me, it was, you know, just being able to, um, and I've met Neil before, but in this capacity, being able to be on uh, on the same bill with him and, and, and sharing the stage with him is, is um the same stage, different times, but it's incredible. It was surreal for me because that, that's pretty much the guy who resonated with me the most. Um, Neil is probably my biggest influence. 
And one thing about that, about that first show that I'll never forget was when we went on stage and we got on stage and played our first song. I looked over to my left, which is complete opposite side of the stage. And I looked over and all the guys from the band were standing on the side of the stage watching us play our first wow. couple songs. <laughs> how about um, Howard Lease uh, from Heart? Yeah, Howard and I met when we did a TV show for ABC Networks. We did a um, Holiday on Ice event down in Jacksonville, Florida. And it was Paul Rogers and Lou Graham. And Howard is... Uh, Paul's guitar player in a solo band, and I and I believe as well as a solo band, he you know I definitely is the Bad Company guitar player, and uh, that was the first time we met, and we became fast friends because um, the interesting thing about that was um, we used the same amp backline, so the same head, same bottoms, but I played my guitar, used my pedals, yeah. as he did the same with him, and um, you know it, it, we had to rehearse during the day while the skaters did their thing and, and they did all their pre-production with the filming crew for broadcast and um we were in a catering uh, area and i was being very i had never met howard up at that point but been a been raised listening to heart and and a big fan of his playing uh since i was a kid and in, in the catering area howard came up to me and said uh he said hi my name's howard and i said i introduced myself and i was thrilled to meet him and he said let me ask you a question he goes what kind of pickups do you have in your guitar? And I said, well, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, there's just stock custom buckers that come in to pick up. Because I'm just sitting here listening to you play and I can't figure out why you, it sounds so much better when you play through the rig than when I play through the rig. And I'm like thinking I got punked. I'm looking around going, okay, who's playing the jump down? And I said, and I said to him, I said, well, I was thinking the exact same thing. Why does it sound so much? I mean, I, obviously because it's Howard Lee's, you know, what is he doing that I'm not doing playing out of the same amps? And it's just ironic that he said that to me. And ever since then, we've become we become friends, and and uh, all the shows that we've done together, we, we we hang out a little bit, and I'll stand and watch him play, and 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 it's it's never less than a thrill when I see him standing on the side of the stage watching our set and uh, checking out what we're doing, and uh, it's pretty damn cool. Yeah, wow, wow. How about um how about jamming with with Buddy Guy? Buddy Guy was at a rock and roll fantasy camp uh, event in Chicago, I think it was 2018. And that was, um, that was powerful because he, I mean, what, what's there to say about buddy guy? I mean, he influenced Jimi Hendrix. He influenced Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, I mean, this guy is, he's the real deal. And, you know, he's in his eighties, I believe. Um, nice guy, quiet. Um, I, I, we participated uh, in with the with my camper band, um, people that attend rock and roll fantasy camp. And generally, I don't know if you know anything about rock and roll fantasy camp. These are generally adults. Um, I think people think that there are a lot of kids. There are kids that that join as well, but mostly it's adults. And we got an opportunity to play one song with Buddy Guy, and I think the song was Five Long Years. And we got up there, and my particular camper band had three guitar players, including me. And including Buddy Guy. So there was uh, several guitar players on stage. <laughs> and I kind of tucked away in the back. And I was, fortunately, I was right next to Buddy Guy. And the interesting thing about that was I, you know, understanding the the, the magnitude of, of his contributions to music and the blues in general, I really, I told all my players, I said, you know, you need to stay out of Buddy's way. This is Buddy's club. This is Buddy's stage. And, uh, you know, we need to respect that. You know, I, everybody was enthusiastic. Everybody wanted to play what they've been rehearsing. And, uh, it, when it came to, to playing 
myself with Buddy, I found myself trying to listen to him and what he was playing. And I tried to stay out of his way as much as possible. And ironically, every time I would play a certain thing, which I thought was sparse enough, he would mimic what I played. And I was like, okay, well, let me, let me figure out what I got to do here. So I tried something different and stayed out of his way. And then he kind of replicated that as well. Almost like he was saying, listen, listen, young boy, this is my stage. You know, you're not going (laughs) to, so so I turned down as far as I could and I played as little as I, and as you've seen in that, in that uh, clip I posted, um, I just, I tried to stay out of his way and, and really realized that this is an amazing opportunity and wanted him to leave with the same amount of enthusiasm as I was (laughs) leaving with. (laughs) Yeah, it was, but it was quite a thrill, man. I mean, getting to be on stage with I mean he's one of one of what I think he's the only one left out of that whole group of blues that blues generation right I mean is there one or two of them left or is he the only guy left I think he seems to be the main the main guy yeah. and then I guess it's it's passed over to um yeah there's, there's Clapton of course who who uh yeah. grew up with, with him and um well not with him but you know followed followed on right, I guess right. but yeah yeah but Amazing. as far as that generation, I think yes. he's the he's the he's the last remaining, and, and and what a treasure! I mean, great guy. He was so polite. He was so so uh, just a great guy. It was it was a thrill. You, you've done a bunch of teaching, so the 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 fantasy camp, as you mentioned. Uh, I know you've done some school of rock stuff, and you, yep, yep. you've uh, I guess in the downtime you've been able to do some some Skype lessons and stuff in the last. Absolutely. What, what what do you enjoy about teaching? I love being able to share. Um, you know, my gift, my experience and experiences and my, uh, my knowledge on the guitar. I mean, I, I really think that, uh, this is something, it's a gift for one and it's something that needs to be shared and it's something that needs to be passed along. And, and it really seems like there's a lot of young people that aren't really interested in the arts as, in the capacity that I was when I was growing up. And, uh, you know, if I could influence, uh, younger kids or, or anybody to, to pursue, uh, the instrument and, and become proficient at it. I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's an important thing to be able to pass along. And I really enjoy being able to share my knowledge. I mean, I I tell all my students, I mean, I'll teach everything I know. I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm trying to be proprietary or guarded with anything. You know, if somebody, somebody carries it on, I mean, when I see my students, my past students going on to, you know, enjoy the instrument in whatever capacity they enjoy it, I, uh, I get a big kick out of it. And I hear a lot from a lot of past students of how I've impacted their lives or, or helped them develop their talent. And I mean, that's just amazing to be able to, you know, I, what do you say to that? I mean, it just gives me chills and it makes me feel like, you know, that I've contributed positive to society. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, a lot of bad people doing bad stuff out there. And and I really want to try to make a difference and, 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 and I don't want to say leave a mark because that might be a little bit too aggressive of a, of a term, but just make a contribution to, to the guitar world and, and, and be able to pass along a little bit of knowledge. I, th- I think you're definitely doing that and more, um, you're, you're obviously very humble and, and you won't say it, but I'll say it then. I think, I think you meeting Buddy Guy and Neil Sean and those guys, there's, there'll be a generation of musicians saying, "Man, I got to jam with Michael Stairtower." Or, or, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that, but if people say that, then I'm very, I'm very flattered and I'm very honored. It's, it's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to, uh, to be able to have people say that about that, me. That's so cool. That's awesome. Um, it's been so fun speaking with you. I've got one, one last question, um, and it's based on uh, something you posted. Now I'm paraphrasing, so let me know if I've got this wrong. But you are. 
you're you're saying it's more important to be valuable than successful. What what does that mean? You know, um, I think that it's a that's a multi-dimensional statement. I think that I mean you could apply that to any aspect of your life. I think if you bring value to somebody, and then that's not necessarily meaning a monetary value, but um, just the quality of contribution, friendship, um, being a dad, being a husband, being a son, being a cousin, an uncle. Um, if you can do that with integrity um, and bring value um, to somebody else's life where they, you know, they're proud to be associated with you. They're proud to be, you know, part of you and, and, and look to you for advice and look to you for guidance. I think that you, you know, that kind of is success. You're successful if you're able to do that for somebody, you know what I mean? It's, uh, I was always taught, don't do something for somebody expecting something in return in return, make sure you do something for somebody because you wanted to do it. Um, and I, and I try to do that as much as possible. And, um, I heard a really great quote today. I was watching a live, um, a Facebook live uh, broadcast with my friend Matt Starr, a drummer from uh, Ace Frehley's band, and he quoted another mutual friend, Mark Schulman, who's a drummer for Pink and Cher, and he also played with Foreigner. And he said, "Your net value is your network value," or something to that effect. I, maybe I screwed that up, but um, you know, I think. You know, your, your, your worth is the quality and the, the type of people that you surround yourself with. And, and you know, you got to be really picky and choosy about who you want to be around and, and who you want to associate with. Because, I mean, one wrong move and, and uh, you know, you're in a, you're, the ripple effect could be pretty devastating. So I always try to stay on, stay on a straight, straight and narrow and do the right thing and, and just try to, you know, be kind and, and, and pass along you know, uh, a nicety and smile and just say hi to somebody and, you know, just be nice, be kind. I think the world could not to get too philosophical on you, but the world could use a lot more kindness and love and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, paying it forward than, uh, everyone with their hand out looking for something. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Agree. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Michael, it's been really cool to meet you. Um, We've been uh, electronically linked for a little while through social media and, and, and stuff, but really cool to meet you face to face and or Skype yeah. to Skype and and, uh, Likewise. and talk through your career. Hey, please and, let us know um, what's happening with your solo stuff as well, and when you get settled in Nashville, um, we'll definitely be following um, your career with great interest there as well. Good luck with the move. Awesome, thank you, thank you, and uh, you know, thank you for having me, and uh, love your podcast and uh, all your listeners. You know, thank you for uh, taking the time to give us a listen. If you're listening still, <laughs> if you haven't turned it off already, but uh, yeah, I'll, Matt, I will, uh, I will send you a copy of the uh, the EP so you can check it out. Love to hear that. Thanks, Michael. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, there you go, Michael Stertow. So great to have him on the show. I'm going to get him to play us out. This is a track called Pandemic Groove. Thanks for joining me on the Guitar Speak podcast. I'll catch you next time.